So, guys, we're, we're in our hero series. We're, we're looking at King Saul. One of the things that I started thinking about this last week as I start, start thinking about all of these characters, and I was going like hero and villain, and some are truly villains, but I start looking at the hero versus the villain, and, and you know, most of the characters in the Bible play both roles. Have you ever noticed that? That, that a lot of these, 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 these characters in the Bible they will, they will both be a hero at times and a villain at times. And really, whether they're labeled a hero or a villain is really how the story ends. You see, it's one thing to be a follower of Christ in the early years of your life, but what does that matter if you don't end in Christ? So one of the things that I want you to think about as we look at all these different characters, keep in mind that start well, yes, but finish well. Too many people start well and then they don't finish at all. And and that's one of the reasons why we see so many people who started off so strong with the Lord, but they didn't end. And so that's one of the things. And so the hardest lesson probably in the Bible might be today when we're dealing with obedience, ugh, like I start talking about obedience and like all the youth leave the room, you know, it's like, oh, I don't want to talk about that, right? But Saul learned the hard way concerning extreme, the extreme importance of obedience. And in fact, Saul went from hero to zero real quick. I was thinking uh, of a... Of a <laughs> So my, my, my red-headed daughter and Chloe, both Naomi and Chloe like to listen, and well, all of our kids like to listen to the um, songs off of the, the old Disney things, and so we're going down the road, and, and so then while I was writing a sermon, I was like, oh yeah, hero to zero. Anyways, and so then my, my mind starts going to the song, but I'm, not, we're gonna, I'm gonna spare you that, you're welcome. Um, hey, but he went from a hero and, and, and doing so much great things, and then he ended with being rejected by the Lord. We'll get to that. But I started thinking even further into this. Really, this statement goes well. Samuel Johnson said, hell was paved with the best of intentions. Have you ever felt like you started off something with the best of intentions and somewhere along the way you opened your eyes all of a sudden and it was the worst case scenario, right? Where, hey, I started off well. I started off right. And then all of a sudden, so, so I, I, I want you to think, when we're thinking about Saul, it started off with, so well. In fact, Saul's story begins with humble beginnings. Um, humility is such an important part. So, so Saul, before he became king, he was a, he was a son and he was a, a young man. And his father said, I'm missing my donkeys. My donkeys go, go missing. The father sends his son, Saul, go find my donkeys. He can't find them. He's all over the place. He can't find them, so he keeps traveling further and further away from home. Him and his, one of his, his buddies, they're there, and they're like, man, we can't find them. And the buddy says, hey, let's go check. Let's go see Samuel. He's a prophet, and there's a good chance that maybe he knows where they are. So they show up, and they come to, to, to Samuel, and Samuel says, yes. I, they said, are you Samuel the prophet? And he says, yes, I am. Go up ahead of me. So he, he doesn't even talk about the donkeys right out of the gate. He's like, go up ahead of me to the high place, for today you are to eat with me. Can you imagine if, if you're coming to the prophet, like the, the most um, 
famous person in all of Israel was Samuel at this time. And, and, and Saul, this young man, you know, I'm just trying to find a donkey, you know? Drake's know what I'm talking about, trying to find donkeys, right? Like, we want to get rid of these things. So, um, so here's, here he is, he goes, you're going to eat with me today. And in the morning, I'll send you on your way and will tell you all that is in your heart. As for these donkeys you lost three days ago, don't worry about them, they've been found. But then he says this to this Saul, this young man, and to whom is all the desire of Israel turned on, if not to you and your whole family line? Sir, I'm just looking for donkeys, right? This is how Saul answers. But I am a Benjamite. So Benjamin, the the tribe of Benjamin is the smallest. There's 12 tribes of Israel. It's the smallest. If you're thinking of a king, you would think of Judah. Judah's the largest clan, the most powerful army. Benjamin is the little guy. He's just a little one, you know? Makes me think of a country song. It's all right to be... Okay, sorry. Sorry. Anyways... Little hometown, little, okay, so anyway, so he's like, I am the, the smallest, we're breaking out in song today, we're, I am of the smallest tribe of Israel, and is not my clan the least of all the clans? Not only am I in the smallest tribe, my family, the, the family line that I have is the smallest in all the tribe. What he's saying is, I don't have any value, I, I'm not enough. Come on, has anybody ever been there, I'm not enough? If somebody came to you and said, hey, you're going to be the king or you're going to be the queen, and your first thing would be like, I'm not enough for that. Now, I started thinking about this. This is such a good place to be because typically God calls the people who know they're not enough because he is. Right, Cheyenne? There we go. I was like, it's like, uh-oh. <laughs> close, close one. That was a close one. So here's the thing is, is that when, when we kind of come to that place in our life saying, God, I'm not enough, he goes, good, you're exactly where I want you to be. Andrew Murray made one of the greatest quotes about humility. He said, God made the world out of nothing. And as long as I can remain nothing, then God can make something out of me. Woo, come on, right? Right? And so here's where we go. So Saul, in the beginning of his story, as he's getting ready to become king, he thought he was nothing. That's a good place. God, I am nothing. You're everything. And God, I just want you to do whatever you want to do with me. God, you, if you want me to be something, that's all got to be you. Right? But what we're going to find throughout this story is that he starts thinking more and more and more of himself and ends up coming to a point where he rejects God altogether. At this point, this is the best place that Saul could ever be. God, what am I? Perfect, because God is everything. God, you're everything, and God just used me. So the story continues. Well, actually not yet. Um, so Saul thought he was nothing until he was something. And, and what we're going to soon discover is these humble beginnings, they, they don't last very long. He, he found great success being a king. He was a commander, not only the king, but he was, he was a military warrior. And he was a commander of the army, and the army was winning battles. Pride 
soon began to come into his life. Let me show you what the Bible says in the New Testament about humility. In Romans 12, 3, it says, For I say, through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to. See, what humility is, being humble, is having a proper evaluation or a proper estimation of myself in the view of who God is. A lot of people have false humility. Oh, I hate myself. I'm nothing. I'm a worm. God doesn't want you to hate yourself because the Bible says, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul, and the second is like it, to love your neighbor as? If you don't love yourself, you can't love your neighbor. You don't love yourself, you can't have proper love for God. So here's the thing is he's not saying, I want you to hate yourself. He's saying, I want you to know who you are when you're standing next to me. God needs to become our everything. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but to think soberly as God has given or dealt each one a measure of faith. Now listen to this in Philippians chapter 2. Make it my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same kind of mind, having the same love, being one in spirit and of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value. You see that? In humility, value. So what humility is all about is having and assigning proper value. Pride says, I value me above all things. That's pride. I value me. Humility says, I value others. That's the difference. Pride and humility. Pride, I value me. Humility, value others above yourself. You want to stay humble? Value others above yourself. You want pride? Value yourself. You'll get there real quick. So back to the story. As Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed his heart. So check this out. So as, as Samuel says, hey, um, you're gonna, I'm going to tell you everything that's in your heart. In the verse eight verses of Samuel chapter 10, God, uh, Samuel tells him, basically, I'm going to confirm that you're going to be the king. Because Saul wasn't buying it. He's like, who am I to be a king? Saul says, you're going to meet, th- in verse 3 of chapter 10, he says, you're going to meet three men who are going to offer you bread. Accept it. Thanks. Verse 5, you will then meet a, profession, or a procession of prophets. The Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, and you're going to prophesy too. You will be changed into a different person. Here's how you're going to know that you're going to be the king, that God has chosen you to be the king. Three guys are going to give you bread. Take it. Next, you're going to come up, and you're going to find a procession, a whole bunch of people prophesying, and you're going to feel so compelled by the Spirit, you're going to do that too. And you, in that moment, will be changed. Have you ever felt like you were in the presence of God and you felt like you left that place changed? Has anybody ever felt like after a church service something powerfully happened in your life and you walked out changed? How many of you have that's happened in your life? See, this is what he's saying. Saul, or Samuel's saying, Saul, here's how you know that God chose you. You're going to walk and you're going to meet this bunch of prophets and you are going to be changed into a different person. Hear me. God is the one who changes you. God is going to change you. He says, You are going to be changed. God is going to change you. You're going to be a different person. Verse 7, once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds to do and do it. God is with you. 
So uh, after you do this and you feel change and you know the Spirit of God is with you, then as the king, do whatever it is that you need to do. Now listen to this. This is very important because this is where problems start arising. Verse 8, after you do all of those things, go to Gilgal. There's going to be a time you're going to find yourself in Gilgal. There's going to be a time you find yourself in Gilgal. And he says this, Samuel said, I will surely come to you to sacrifice. You must wait. (laughs) Everybody say that. Wait. You must wait seven days until I come to you and tell you what you are to do. Wait for me. I'm going to come and then I will tell you what you are to do. Perfect. Yay. Right? Well, all right. Here's what happens. He, he finds himself in Gilgal. The context of the story in, in three chapters later, so we looked at 1 Samuel there now in chapter 13. The context here is this. Now war is coming upon them. Okay, The Philistine army is knocking on the door. They were gathering in large numbers. So I want you to think, if you were the king and you were in charge of everybody, if you were the king and you had an army, and then all of a sudden another army was so much larger than yours, right? They're bigger, they're stronger, they're faster, and you're looking at this going, oh man, this isn't good. You're the king though, You you have to do something. You're the leader. Everyone's looking at you. The Israelite army was scared, and Samuel didn't show up on the seventh day. Huh. You told me to wait there for seven days, you would come. You said, wait seven days, seventh day, you're not here, what do I do, right? What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? You know, here's, here's, here's a man who's, who's and, and it says in the scripture that the army of the Israelites began to scatter away. So you have an army, and now the guys are getting scared in the army, and now they're starting to go back home, right? Samuel hasn't showed up to give us instructions yet. Whew, you guys getting the, getting the feeling here? <laughs> now I want you to remember, Samuel told him to wait. You must wait. I am going to sacrifice, and I will tell you what to do. See, one of the things that I'm hoping that we're going to learn about our, our, our feelings here today, one of the many things that I want us to learn is about these feelings is that feelings are not the same thing as truth. You may feel something, that doesn't make it true. Did you guys follow me? How many times has your feelings got you in trouble? Right? I felt this, so I did that. Right? Come on. Right? All right, so, so, so you got to be careful about following your feelings because when we are left to our thoughts and our feelings, you end up following your own ways, right? So here's what happens. What happens is he goes ahead and he makes a sacrifice himself. Like, well, Samuel didn't show up. Get me the lambs and get me the bulls. I'm going to do it myself. He's making the sacrifice, and guess who shows up? It's kind of like mama walks in and she catches your hand in the cookie jar. Oh, I was just getting it ready for you, Samuel, right? Okay, 
Samuel shows up and he goes this. This is what Sam, Samuel says, what have you done? Right? Samuel said, wait. And he goes, I can't wait any longer. The army's going away. I have to make a decision. I'm the leader. It has to go. I got to go. What? And then Samuel's like, what have you done? You're not the priest. You're the king. You're not the priest. It's not your job. Saul said, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you didn't come at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling, I thought. See how I highlighted that? I. Everybody say I. I I thought. Now the Philistines will come against me at Gilgal. Remember the Gilgal? And I have not sought the Lord's favor. I have not. Who is supposed to seek the Lord's favor? Who? Samuel. Samuel was to seek the Lord's favor and then tell Saul what the Lord says. See, what this is about is keeping Saul in his appropriate place. You're not the king, the commander, the priest, and the prophet. You're the king. There's someone else that has a job to do over here, and they will do their job, and then they will tell you what the Lord's telling you to do. Slow down. And he says, I haven't felt the Lord's, I haven't sought the Lord's favor, so I felt. Now everybody say, I felt. See, I, I, I thought, now I feel. Oh, right? I thought, and how many times has your thoughts then directly affected your feelings? Right? Come on, right? I'm, I'm thinking this, and then all of it. How many times have you thought something and you worked yourself up here? Oh, I think that person was rude. Right? You know what I'm talking You know? So a lot of times what we do is we, when we are left to our own thoughts, we come up with our own ways. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I felt compelled to offer burnt offerings. You're not the priest, buddy. You're not the prophet. You're not the priest. It's not your job. Samuel said, you have done a foolish thing. You've not kept the commandment of the Lord. Man, I, at first I read them like, he's seeking the Lord. What's the big deal? See, the whole point of all of this was I'm going to give you a small assignment. You follow this small assignment. I'll give you a bigger assignment and a bigger assignment and a bigger assignment. I will trust you with more, but make sure you're faithful with the little. So the only command Samuel gave him was when you get to Gilgal, wait. When you get to Gilgal, wait, I'll be there. I will tell you what to do. That was the only thing. Outside of that, do whatever your hands find to do. God's with you. When he gets to Gilgal, he gets nervous, and then he begins to think, and then he begins to do. Mm, Look at this. Isaiah 55. The Lord speaks through his prophet Isaiah, and he tells the whole world, my thoughts are not your thoughts. God's thoughts are not my thoughts, nor are his ways my ways, right? For as the heavens are higher than the earth. Now, my question would be this. How much higher are the heavens than the earth? Is there a little gap or a big gap? Huh? Big? 
So there's a huge gap between heaven and earth. So that means there's a huge gap between his thoughts and mine. There's a huge gap between his ways and my ways. So my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are than your thoughts. Well, let's get right to it. What we learn most from Saul is partial obedience is still disobedience. Samuel had given Saul instructions from the Lord. Now, multiple times, here's what Saul struggled with throughout his entire kingship. Partial obedience. And I'm here to tell you we're all struggling with partial obedience. I'm going to tell you all, we're going to figure out real fast how many of us in this room, which is most likely all of us, struggle with partial obedience, and especially youth. You're the worst. I'm just going to be honest with you. You're the worst. But you probably learned that from your parents who are the worst. They're the worst. So here's what happens. Now, fast forward to, so here's the thing. He becomes king in 1 Samuel chapter 10, right? Chapter 10, he becomes the king. Do whatever the Lord, do whatever your hands find to do. God's with you. Just when you get to Gilgal, wait for me. So he gets to Gilgal, he doesn't wait, you've done a foolish thing. Okay, fine, he did a foolish thing. Two chapters later, chapter 15, going to give you another chance. Woo, right? So let me first, before I tell you the next chance that he gets, I want to tell you what partial obedience is. Because it's still disobedience, we know that. But let me go on further. Partial obedience is doing part of what you were told to do. All the kids are like, oh, yeah, I'm pretty bad at that. (laughs) Take out the trash, but they left the the one bag. That's partial obedience. Why are you looking back at your mom? I'm talking to you. (laughs) Looked right back. There's nobody more guilty than the one in the front row. (laughs) It's me. It's doing a part of what you were told to do. Okay? Now, partial obedience, I want to make the, 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 um, the analogy that it's like rat poison. You've heard me say rat poison before. Rat poison, if you look on the back of any rat poison, it is 99 point something percent good food. 99%. Plus, it's plus. I, I, it's the only part of the poison in that is like a 0.27% poison, not even a full percent, less than a percent of the food. So it's more than 99% healthy, okay food to eat. It is less than 1% poison, still kills you. You see what I'm wanting you to. So, so if you give nine, if, if you talk to someone else and you give them 99% truth, 1% lie, it's still a. All right. In the same way, this is how obedience works. The same way, obedience works the same way. If you're doing only 99% of, of the obedience and then not doing the other percent, it's still partial obedience is still disobedience. So let me show you what the command was. So here's, here, we're going to give you another try, King Saul. Here's your assignment. Go and attack Amalek. Utterly destroy all destroy all that they have do not spare them 
kill both man, woman, infant, nursing, child, ox, sheep, camel, donkey, everything. Everything dies. It's pretty harsh. I want you to understand that when you see this all by itself, you have to read all of the scriptures to understand that the Amalekites had done the same thing to Israel too. God devises our punishment based upon our actions as well. And what he's saying is they are a people who have rejected me, continue to reject me, and they will only lead you astray. They're going to have to go away. They've had their chances to follow me. I've called them and called them and called You know, if God calls you enough and you reject the phone, he stops calling you. Well, that's what you asked for. If I don't answer the phone, every, if somebody calls me, the same person, if Barbara called me every single day, every single day, and every single day, and I just rejected that phone call, one day she's going to be like, I am not calling him. Because I already told her I didn't want her to call because I didn't answer. So here's the command. Six verses later in verse 9. Saul, he went with his army, but Saul. Everybody say, but Saul. You already know this is going down a wrong road, right? But Saul and the army spared Agag, which is the king. So we killed everybody but the king and the best of the sheep and the cattle and the fat calves and the lambs. Everything that was good we spared. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak they totally destroyed. Does that sound like complete obedience? Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll address that in a little bit. What was the command? Destroy Did they destroy everything? Okay. Now, the word of the Lord came to Samuel. If I ever ask you a question, does God ever regret anything? You can just bring this verse up. The word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king. For he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel and he cried out to the Lord all night. So when Samuel rose the early morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel saying, Saul went to Carmel and indeed has set up a monument for himself. See how far he's fallen up to this point in the story, right? You see where he said, who am I? I'm the smallest tribe and the smallest clan in the tribe, and, and I'm nothing to, hey, we had a great victory. I'm going to go put a monument of myself up there. You see? You see where we're at, right? Everybody see that? I, I just want, I underlined it for you just in case you didn't. And has gone around, gone on around, passed by. He, he didn't come to Samuel. He went around Samuel. Now, This isn't the end, verse 13, the very next verse. So here we go, you ready? When Samuel reached him, <laughs> when Samuel shows up, he says, uh, Saul said, Lord bless you. This is Saul saying to Samuel, Samuel, my man, Lord bless you. I carried out the Lord's instructions. How about that? Woo, we did it, right? Samuel said, what then is the bleeding of sheep in my ears, and what is the lowing of the cattle that I hear? Saul answered, 
The soldiers brought them from the Malachites. They spared the best. Listen to this. They spared the best of the sheep and the cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. Hmm. This might something you might just hold on to for later purposes. But we totally destroyed the rest. See, I carried out the Lord's instructions. We totally destroyed the rest. I really hope that you see how badly Saul's struggling. Because in Saul's mind, he was being obedient. In Saul's mind, he carried out the Lord's instructions. And at first glance, this really does make sense. At first glance, I want you to see. Here's the deal. Okay, God says, I want you to destroy everything. So everything's going to die. And then you start looking out and you see, hey, these are really good sheep over here. And these are really good cows. They're going to die anyways. Let's go give them and sacrifice them to the Lord. They're still going to, right? Hear me, right? They're still going to die. So God says they all got to get killed. So let's just take them and sacrifice them to the Lord. And at first you're like, man, Saul, you're a genius, might as well let their death have some purpose. That a boy. Or not. See, at first I was like, that. At first glance, I'm like, okay, I can kind of maybe see this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're going to die, so he's still killing them. He's still fulfilling. He's still fulfilling the commandment, right? I mean, how many times do we kind of do that? I'm, gonna, I'm kind of doing it. In my own way. But God's ways are higher than... So if I'm doing it my own way, it's the lower version. So then I want you to think about this. The word sacrifice is super key. We kept, we spared the best. So they killed all the bad ones. We spared the best sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord. Here's what I want you to understand. God doesn't want my leftovers. Okay? God doesn't want my leftovers. In fact, what Saul's wanting to do is say, God, I'm going to sacrifice your enemy's livestock to you, not mine. Oh, there it is. There's the mic drop moment, right? What Saul's saying is, I'll spare my cattle and my sheep, and I'll take these that are already going to have to die, and I'll give them to the Lord. In fact, what he's doing is, God, I'm going to give you their leftovers. They don't eat them. What sacrifice did Saul make here? He didn't. Wouldn't it be easy if you were to tithe with somebody else's checkbook? Come on, right? Because you're not sacrificing anything. But when you pull out that checkbook, you look at your balance, you look at the money coming in, and you're writing, and your hand is quivering, right? That's the sacrifice. Because what God wants, he doesn't want my leftovers. He doesn't want what I plundered from my enemy. God wants me to make a sacrifice. He wants, the whole point of sacrifices was when I took something from mine and I took my best lamb and gave it to God. That's the sacrifice. Not the enemy's best to God. It is my best to God. And all along the history of Israel, what they ended up doing is instead of people bringing their own lambs, they just went to the temple and bought lambs. And now that's not a sacrifice either because they have no attachment to that lamb. If you've ever had a bottle lamb, 
and it was actually cute. It's like, how do you get rid of that thing? We had the ugliest sheep in the world. It was called Cookie, and it was the hardest one I've ever sold. And it had zero value. It wasn't a good sheep. It had like looked like it got punched in both eyes and was shaggy and was not a very good mom. Was it? No, when you whistled, it came because it was wanting to see if you had food. Anyways, see, I'm wanting you guys not to miss what's happening. Saul's thinking, I'm going to save some money, especially if I don't have to sacrifice my own cows and my own sheep to the Lord, I'll sacrifice theirs. You're really getting a glimpse at his heart. See, God knows your heart. I don't. God knows your heart. And that's really, if you want to measure something, you measure your heart. See, what we do is on the outside, I'm like, well, you know what? That kind of makes sense. We'll give those, you know, and, and, and hey, you saved some money. Hey, yay. But that's not what God was like, huh? You missed the whole point. And you start seeing that glimpse when it's like, I'm going to sacrifice these sheep and cattle to the Lord, your God, Samuel. I'm going to sacrifice it to your God. Keep him on the good I want to be on his good side. The conversation continues. Samuel's upset. Enough! That's an explanation point in case you missed it. Samuel said, let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. So I was like, fine, tell me. Samuel said, although you were once small. You see the word once? I wished I would have highlighted it. I forgot to do that when I came to church. You, you remember, although you once were small, you remember the time when you once thought you were small, right? You were once small in your own eyes. Did you not become the head of all the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed, see, the Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on mission. Go, completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you've wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? Listen to this. So here's what Samuel says. Now look at what Saul says. I did obey the Lord. Have you ever gotten on to your kid? I told you to take out the trash. I did take out the trash. Then what's all the trash over in the corner? I took out all the other trash. Now you, parents, you guys getting what I'm saying, right? kids were like, wow, why did they're going to be like, Pastor Paul, can we have our own services during the service? <laughs> Saul is so convinced, and here's what I want you to understand is Saul has convinced himself he was obedient. I did obey the Lord. I went on mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag their king, and the soldiers took some sheep and the cattle and the plunder. See, I completely destroyed the Amalekites. Well, is the king not an Amalekite? Were the sheep and the cattle not a part of that? The best was devoted to God. Did God ask you to devote that to him? You see, so you see what happens is when you get in there and you begin to decide what you're going to obey and what you're not going to obey, do you realize how big of a problem that is in the American church? 
We take the Bible. We're about to get to the part where it's uh, concerning us. That's like this is like is this a good time for a potty break? You know, I mean, like like we're about to get on the toe stomping part right here in a minute because we do the same thing that Saul does. We look at the Bible and say, I'm going to pick and choose what I'm going to fully obey, and the other parts I'm going to make it look like I'm obeying. You see, by all the outside, he's making it look like he's obedient. On the external, he's saying, hey, I did kill everybody. I brought the king back. Why did you bring the king back? He brought back a trophy. Why else would you bring the king back? Because he wanted to show off. His arrogance had taken off. Why did he bring the sheep and the cattle? To save money. So he didn't have to sacrifice his own. The best of what, the best of what was devoted to God in order to sacrifice them to the Lord, your God. So here's Saul arguing with the prophet. He's arguing, saying, I did obey. I killed them all. I brought the king back. The sheep and the cattle were devoted to your God. Have you guys ever made an argument and it was kind of like this? It's like, that is about the dumbest argument I've ever heard in my life. All the wives say. Right? You're like, husband, I could tell you of like 20 right now where you sounded just like Saul. See, how can you say you obey when you, when, you, when you didn't, right? How can you say you completely destroyed the Amalekites and yet bring back the king? You see, this is called self-deception. The Bible says over and over and over, do not deceive yourself. Saul had completely and utterly deceived himself. And here is the next last reply that we're going to see here before we get on ourselves. Here's Samuel. Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? Let that sink in just a moment. He's saying he obeyed. He didn't. He can argue all he wants, but he didn't. Comes back to this, Does God delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as much as in obeying the Lord. In other words, what does God want more? Your worship or your obedience? Because that's really what we're getting. We're breaking it down. If we're going to break it down to our terms, does God want your worship more than your obedience? If, if, if we're not going to be equal here, there's one that he wants more. Hint, he wants your obedience more than your worship. You guys are super quiet. You don't know if you believe that. To obey is better than sacrifice. Only three of you got that. I'm going to... Everybody... You know what? Everybody stand up with me. Come on. It'll help you wake up if you're fighting sleep. Okay. Now, while you're standing with me, we're going to read this together, okay? We're going to do it better than what we do on Wednesdays, because sometimes when we read verses, everybody's, you're going to follow my voice, okay? But Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, 
And to heed is better than the fat of rams. Okay, thank you. Good job. Good job. All right. Isn't that, isn't that kind of eye-opening, friends? Isn't it? Because most people would all say, you know what God wants most for me? Is this right here? Showing up and singing praises to his name. You know what God wants more than you coming here? I, don't stop coming. I didn't say, it doesn't say he doesn't delight in sacrifice, but it says that he to obey is better than sacrifice. Your obedience is better than the worship. Struggle with that all you want. I didn't write it. Take it up with Samuel when you get to heaven. Listen to this. Does God delight more in your attendance today or in your obedience tomorrow? Come on. Come on, right? This is what we need today. This is the message that God had aligned for you. And I'm so glad that the house is packed except for everybody that's taking a bathroom break. They're the ones missing out. Don't worry about it. So here's the thing. God delights more in your obedience tomorrow than your attendance today. It does not mean the attendance today doesn't matter. It means that this is your launching pad to obedience tomorrow. You guys got a head start today. You guys got a head start. So we, we struggle. We struggle with partial obedience. So we want to sing without obedience and call it worship. Right? I want to sing these songs. I want to clap. I want to have a good time at church, but I don't want to obey the words of God. I want to sing and call it worship, and yet I'm holding bitterness the whole time in my heart. We want to listen to the word without obeying it and call ourselves disciples. Well, I was there. I took notes. What good are my notes if I don't live it? The obedience. We want to serve in ministry without obedience and call ourselves ministers. Whew. Digging deep today. Some deep stuff. So here's the deal. If you really want to measure your worship, if you want to measure your discipleship, if you want to measure your service, then measure your obedience. You really want to see, God, how good of a disciple am I? Well, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, right? I want to... He says in John 15, 8, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. What is a fruitless disciple? Not a disciple. You can call yourself a disciple and a follower of Christ. You can call yourself a Christian. Does that make you a Christian? How many people have you met along the road that called themselves a Christian and they didn't look like it, smell like it, or talk like it? Or act like it? And it might even be you, right? I mean, you know what I'm saying, right? So how do I start measuring myself? And I put the ones that I thought would probably be the, the most frustrating to you. Because here's the thing is, is I would rather talk about things that the majority would have to maybe struggle with than what the, the smallest percentage. It would be easy for me to attack sins that weren't in the room. Tithing or giving. 
right? That's commanded in the Bible. And yet, statistically, it says only 20% of any given church actually give on a monthly basis, let alone weekly. So, how do I measure in my giving department? The Bible says, go and make... Carolyn, what does that say? Go and make what? We're supposed to go out and share our faith. We're supposed to be evangelizing. We're supposed to be witnessing to people. That's a command, not a suggestion. It's the great commission. It's a commandment of God. Go and do this. Are we doing it? The Bible says that if you, forg- if you do not forgive, that I will not forgive. If you and, and so, God, as I have forgiven my, the, the, the trespassers, forgive my trespasses as I have forgiven those who trespass against me. So how am I doing in the forgiving? The Bible tells us to, to help people. Are we helping people? The Bible tells me that I'm supposed to love my enemies and I'm supposed to pray for those who persecute me. So what kind of prayer are you doing? God, I hope a rock falls on their head. That's, that's not what he's talking about, right? Come on, right? This is, this is, this is deep. This isn't, this isn't shallow teaching here. This, isn't, this, this, is, this is like, God... Where's my obedience? Am I only being partially obedient to the stuff I want to be obedient? Or am I obedient to the whole thing? You see, what I love about simple obedience is this. When God says something, I just start doing it. You don't know everything. That's okay. When God shows you something new, so maybe today is the day you learn about forgiveness. Oh, I'm supposed to forgive people? I need to get on that. Today is the day to be obedient. Not tomorrow, not next. I'll think about it. No, it's like, God, you said I'm doing it. God says that I do it. God says it, I. God says it, I. You see, that's really simple. We make it complicated. I don't want to. Don't be like Saul. It didn't serve him well. So why is obedience a big deal? Guys, this is why. Why does God make such a big deal about just doing what he says? You guys interested in knowing the answer? How many of you want to know the answer? This is cool. Why is obedience such a big deal? Because it has everything to do with love. Here we go. Ready? Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Woo! Right? Oh, I wish that verse wasn't there, right? I was like, can we not just like, hey, uh, show up to worship service and that is love. No, he's like, whoever has my commands and. See, you have, how many of you have a Bible? Even if it's on your phone, you have his commands, but do you keep them? You see, I have them, do I keep them? Whoever has them and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself. You want God to show himself to you? Then obey him. Your obedience tells you tells him that you love him. Anyone who loves me, verse 23, will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. You can tell who loves God real fast. It's pretty simple, guys. This, this, this what I love, is it's hard, but it's simple. It's, this isn't rocket science stuff. This is Hey, you love. So what he's saying is this. Your obedience is the proof of your love. Huh? 
Your obedience is the proof. So here's the other thing. Kids, you want to show mom and dad that you love them? That's through obedience. What happens when your kids are rebellious and they don't do what you tell them to do? That is rebellion. Rebellion is the opposite of love. Huh? Kill the children and let God sort it out. She was joking. <laughs> or was she? So, if your kids do not obey, then they're not having a display or a proof of their love for you. Rebellion is not, listen, rebellion is not love. Rebellion is self-worship. Oh, come on. That's what Saul did. His rebellion was that he worshipped. He set his own monument up, and rebellion is about me. I know better than mom and dad. I know better. Rebellion is I love myself. Obedience is I love you. Hmm. Hmm. If your kids don't obey, let me say this, parents, real quick, so that the kids don't think it's all about them. Often your kids match your obedience to God. Your obedience to God is often matched by your kids' obedience to you. And if you're truly obeying God and you're setting the pattern for your kids and they're not obeying, the belt comes off and tunes up obedience real well. The Bible says, here's the deal, what does God's Word say about parenting? Spare the rod, spoil the child. You got a spoiled kid, it's because you're sparing the rod. Disobedience. I didn't write it. I'm just saying, that's what it says. I mean, you go, go, go look it up. Don't, you don't have to take my word for it. Last slide. Here's where I want to leave this. this so if, if obedience is a measure of my love, okay, do you love God more? More than the addiction you're chasing. Whatever you're addicted to, sugar, food, drugs, alcohol, Cigarettes, social media, huh? Yeah, just whatever, whatever that addiction is. Do you love God more than the addiction you're chasing after? Do you love God more than the bitterness you're holding on to? Do you love God more than the phone you won't put down? Do you love God more? than the control you won't let go of? Do you love God more than the sexual desire you're lusting after? The statistics on men and pornography is a terrible statistic. Do you love God more than a pornography? Do you love Him more than the sexual immorality? Do you love God more than the money you're making? Do you love God more than yourself? So I want you to bow your heads. And I want you to be honest with yourself. Truly be honest. Because if God was, if, if, if right now was a moment that we all stood before God and He began to measure our obedience. Right? If, if, he, if, if, if he was measuring it, would I be in the realm of 
simple obedience. God said it, so I'm doing it. God, I love you so much, I'm willing to make this sacrifice. God, I love you so much, I'm going to make this change. God, I'm going to, I love you so much, I'm going to do this, whatever it takes. Or would I be put into this lump of part of the time I'm obedient? Or I'm obedient only in part of the command of God? Some of us right here today, we said we wanted a move of God. See, a move of God is for each and every one of us. Some of us today, right this moment, need to come down and say, God, I love you more than this addiction I'm stuck on. God, I love you more than whatever you're holding on to. Some of us need to lay some things down. Whatever's Whatever's eating up your obedience, whatever's getting in the way of your love, that's what we're laying down today, right now. If you've got something to lay down, do it now. God, I love you more. God, I love you more. hardest thing to lay down at the altar is myself. Sometimes we forget that my sinful desire, that sin that I just have, that I want, won't let go of, I'm the one in the way. I need to lay myself down. God, I love you more than myself. You're the king of my life. You're in charge. You're worthy of glory and honor. God, you are the great one.